Tell us a little bit about what you saw and, and, and being able to relay that message to Cora when you watched Kimbrell pitch and, and kind of help out so he wasn't uh, tipping his pitches. So tipping pitches, we hear about it all the time. People at home understand what tipping pitches is all about. It's amazing. Man. And that's remarkable. Alex, in honor of the Friday the 13th that just passed, two days before we're recording this podcast, I wanted to start the show this week by asking you, what were your favorite baseball superstitions when you were playing? Did you have like, I feel I might have asked you this on the show before, but we're just going to pretend that listeners don't remember that. And I don't remember it either because it didn't occur to me until just now. But what were your favorite superstitions? Did you have anything that you absolutely believed would ruin your chances of performing well on a given day? Well, the the good thing for me is that um, the the ceiling was never that high to begin with. So, right, so less to lose. There was a lot less to lose, yeah. Uh, but this is an interesting question because I think that we have, we've talked about this with actual former Major League Baseball players before. Oh, that's what's triggering it in my mind then. Yes, yeah. But, uh, but I don't think you and I have really gone deep on it. Um, Alex just dropping that in casually and not following up on what he means. He's acting like we're just we're dialoguing with major league players offline. No, this came on an appearance on the uh, podcast The Grind with the homies over from More Than Baseball. Yes, exactly. This was not just in a G chat with fucking Jacob Degrom. Yeah, so I had, as I'm sure a lot of uh, other people who played baseball growing up or currently play baseball right now had. Um, superstitions that you know bordered on the for for lack of a better word uh, gross most of it having to do with items of clothing right mm. that you that you may yeah. you may wear uh for for an extended period of time following a a win or or following a loss right if we if we lost you i'm going to i'm going to wash my socks and if we don't then we're just powering on through yeah it was just it preparing was, you for the dirtbag life that you were going to live after that. Yeah, exactly. It had the added benefit of, uh, of you know, making the umpire and the catcher like back away from me a little bit at the plate. Right. So, uh, you know, I'm just causing a bit of a distraction. I'm like pig pen. You know, I got the like little cloud of, of dirt just following me at all times. And, mm-hmm. you know, it throws people off when right. they see a, a cartoon cloud of dirt following you around. I had I had ones that were like in game superstitions too, you know, like, um, like if there's two balls and two strikes and two outs, like rubbing the rubbing the side of your cap, you know, deuces oh, are wild. I've never um, heard of that. Yes, yeah. Uh, so little stupid things like that that very clearly had an uh, impact on the outcome of the game. Right, and I assume that you, you won every game because you, of that. Yes, yeah, exactly. Actually, I actually we've I, never brought it up, but you were undefeated in your entire baseball career. I could have gotten drafted, um, and I had some scouts talking to me, but I was kind of like, you know, I'm I'm seeing more of a podcaster's life in my future, so I'm going to have to pass. I'm seeing more of a podcaster's life in my future, he said in 2012. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you were on that first wave, that podcast first wave. Download them <laughs> to your iPod, bro. That's right. Um. You know, I had some superstitions. I have some superstitions as a fan as well. Um, a lot of them, like, 
in regards to who is allowed in the room while a game is going on. Like if someone walks in and something bad happens, it's like, okay, leave the room now. Right. Or like currently right now, we put the Mets bandana back on my dog and the Mets have now lost two straight. However, we put it on in the middle of the game and they rallied back. So I don't know what to do with that. Today is going to be the deciding day for how I handle that if the Mets lose again. While she's wearing the bandana, the bandana's coming off and probably yeah. getting getting a wash, as you <laughs> alluded to. Um, I would always carry the same like lucky token items in my baseball bag with me, like a number eleven pool ball because that was my lucky number, like a miniature pool ball, keychain size pool ball. Um, I never stepped on the line unless I was uh, the hitter, obviously running it out. No, actually, I, if I was running down the line, I would not step on the baseline either. You know, it was kind of like straddling a little bit. You know, hell uh, left foot goes on the left side of the line, right foot goes on the right side of the line. Yeah, hell, you're, you're just like running like you're skiing. Um, <laughs> hella dudes step on the line in Major League Baseball. I can always tell who is not superstitious by who just no regard just steps right on the line. And it makes me wince every single time. Yeah. Um, and by the same token, there are also plenty of pitchers who do a very accentuated like jump over, the, over line. the line. Like yeah. not even just like I see the line and I'm going to make an effort to step over it, but like I I don't want to come within twelve inches of this line. Yeah. Like I don't I don't need any of that chalk splashing back up onto my cleat. You know, I I'm not taking any chances here. I think that our reliance on superstition is part of the reason that like we never would have been. Major League Baseball players, aside from the fact that we don't have the the physical the physical tools for it, but like sometimes when I hear and when we talked about this on the grind, I'm pretty sure that I remember Chase being like, "I didn't have superstitions like that because I was just good, you know, (laughs) I didn't Mm -hmm. need them more or less." And not so many words, but still, like if you need to rely on superstitions that much, it's probably because you're not that good. I don't think I had any. I don't think I had any other ones though. I have lucky items of clothing that I wear. You know, like stuff. I did a similar thing throughout the 2015 Mets World Series run um, where I did not wash one piece, one shirt that I would wear under whatever jersey I was wearing that day. How'd that work? <laughs> How'd that work out for you? Come on, man. Come on. It was <laughs> a miracle own the run. shirt. <laughs> I was wearing it when they blew it. So, you know, I do still own the shirt. Yeah. It was a free giveaway shirt. 1-800-Flowers.com ad on the back. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Love that one. Still got that. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, we have plenty to get to that isn't just bantering about superstitions. Uh, we're going to talk about our good friend Buster Olney writing about our better friend Shohei Otani. We're going to recap the Field of Dreams game. Uh, Alex is going to give plenty of hot takes about that. Hot takes only. And we'll do voicemails in three up, three down. But before we do all of that, I am Bobby Wagner. I'm Alex Basley. And you are listening to the very superstitious Tipping Pitches. Before we dive into everything, I'm I'm curious because I don't think we've discussed this on the podcast, but you mentioned superstitions and and last night there was a uh, there was a no hitter thrown by rookie Tyler Gilbert for the Arizona Diamondbacks, and I'm curious mm. what's your uh, what's your stance on on talking about it? Absolutely not, absolutely not. You were at the Mets game, so you didn't know this, but during Taiwan Walker's no hitter through six. Six and change. I think he gave it up in the seventh, right? Yeah. The Mets broadcasters were just saying it. They were saying the phrase no hitter. And I saw a lot mm-hmm. of people being like, what's going on? Why are they doing that? Do they just not believe in that? And some announcers 
don't believe in that. Like some announcers only think that you shouldn't say it if you're a player in the dugout to the other players or especially to the pitcher. Don't even talk to the pitcher, number one. That's just, that goes without saying. But uh, I saw some people on Twitter being like, are the Mets broadcasters completely unaware of the fact that you could jinx this no-hitter by talking about it? And I think if you say it like multiple times and it doesn't happen right after you say it, you don't lose the no-hitter right after you say it, then broadcasters are like, clearly I have no power here. But I will not talk about the no-hitter. I will say some, I will say stuff like, there's a zero in the hit column. Mm. <laughs> or or no, like, one's, no one's reached base yet. That's interesting. Other than a walk. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there was one walk and nothing else has gotten a player on base yet. Yeah, I'll do stuff like that. I'll talk right. The base, it. the baseball gods are sitting up there being like, "Fuck!" He figured out the loophole. He described a, he described a no hitter without actually saying the words no hitter. I guess we have to let the pitcher keep going. <laughs> yeah, right. And then they give up a hit, and it's just like, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I don't. I don't talk about no hitters. I don't talk about no hitters uh, unless it's I actually want to jinx the the person. Right. In which case, you say, "Wow." It seems Great that Zach no Wheeler is throwing a no hitter right, right now. <laughs> <laughs> I think that for for the longest time, I was in that camp, and I kind of still am in that camp. I don't really know what to do. the The real wrinkle that has thrown, uh, kind of my uh, feelings toward it in doubt, are the fact that Vince Scully shamelessly would just talk about them, right? Say, and so Clayton Kershaw has is throwing a no hitter through seven innings right now. And I'm like, all right, you know, if it's good enough for Vince Scully, I, Vince I, Scully is yes. not worried about it. That's I, why maybe, I think maybe I don't need to worry, be worried about it. either. The Mets broadcasters are the same way. They're like the broadcaster jinx does not exist. Yeah. The one place that the broadcaster jinx absolutely does exist though, is basketball with free throw shooters. Mm-hmm. When, when the play by play guy in basketball is like, He's made 23 of his last 24, and then the guy misses two straight at the line. That always happens. I don't want to see any statistic that tells me that that's not true, because that is a definite. Anecdotally speaking, that happens 100% of the time. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But usually it just ends up with me gesturing wildly towards whoever's in the room with me. Like when the box score pops up on the screen, I'm just like pointing really aggressively, and they're like, what the fuck are you pointing at? And I'm just look, 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 look. Or I'll like get the notification on my phone and I'll show everyone in the room like individually. Right. <laughs> the the, the no hit notifications are out of control. Um, like pushing everybody who has the MLB TV app or the MLB at bat app push notifications to everybody after every no hitter that makes it to the sixth inning is very aggressive. Yeah, even if it's a combined no hitter, you know. Yeah. Get those. Oh, the Phillies have multiple pitchers. For their team have not allowed a hit yet. I'm like, it just sounds like they're really good relievers. Should we talk about the um, the ESPN stats and info Tyler Gilbert tweet really quickly? Please. Yes. <laughs> Tyler Gilbert, who, if you're listening to this and you don't know, threw a no-hitter in his first career start uh, for the Arizona Diamondbacks. He had made his major league debut earlier as a reliever, um, but this was his first career start. He is the fourth pitcher in MLB history to throw a no-hitter in his first career start, according to ESPN stats and info. He joins Ted Breitenstein in 1891, Bumpus Jones in 1892. Good old Bump. You remember Bumpus, right? Yeah. Oh, our. I mean, our pop- podcast is Bumpus. That's kind of how I describe it to to people. You know, it's, it feels Bumpus like a, an adjective. 
Could be, right? Isn't anything an adjective? <laughs> and Bobo Holloman. Holloman? Holloman. Holloman. In Holl- 1953. Holloman. Yeah. Uh, Bo- Bumpus Bobo, and Bobo. Bobo and, and Rename Bumpus. the pod? Mm-hmm. Bumpus and Bobo? Which that's one, the, which that's one the of us name is of, like a, of a comedy routine from the 1930s. Yeah. You know? Which one of us is Bumpus and which one of us is Bobo? I don't know. I, I kind of feel like I identify with Bumpus. Yeah, I was going to uh, say that you're Bumpus too. Bobo is like kind of close to Bobby if you think about it. So, right, exactly. I, feel like I, I mean, that's him. a reasonable nickname for you. That might be where we go after this. This is how you have to start introducing yourself on the show. Well, some people like in like coaches or whatever would call me like Bobo, you know. So it's like one consonant away. Yeah, exactly. That's just a pronunciation error away from you being being Boa. Okay, so you're Bumpus, and I'm Bobo. We've established that. Now can we do the podcast? <laughs> yeah, should we talk about <laughs> real baseball? Yes, Alex. The Field of Dreams game happened on Thursday night. Uh, much discussed. Much hand-wringing was done about it ahead of time by us and others. Um, but before we start to talk about, like, before we start to dissect the entire thing and the... Uh, noise around it uh did you watch the game did you enjoy it i did watch part of the game i i tuned in uh part of the way through to watch it through to the end and it was it was a it was a baseball game between two really fun teams and that resulted in in a fun baseball game i the some of the visuals were were very cool you know when they would when they would pan out and there's just fucking corn in the outfield you couldn't like, deny oh, that there was corn there that's there is a lot there is a lot of it there, there was some corn we, we are in Iowa definitely yes but yeah overall it was like a fun a fun baseball game like if i had just tuned in on a regular thursday night i would have been like wow this was a this was a good a good use of my time although it largely had to do with the actual on-field play, right? The the walk-off home run from Tim Anderson, which like would have been exhilarating regardless of the game in which it was played, but became all the more exciting given the, the fact that this was a game couched in MLB's love for its own history, this na- kind of navel-gazing uh, regard for an idealized version of the game and here comes Tim Anderson, who is largely the antithesis to what baseball has tried to make itself to be for the last century, just saying, get the fuck out of here with that. Yeah. I, it's funny that you say that, too, because I was sitting on the couch watching it with Phoebe, and, and she was like really invested in the game. And I was like, oh, do you like the Field of Dreams concept? And she was like, no, it's just a good game. She's like, this is a crazy comeback right here from yeah. the Yankees. And I was like, <laughs> oh, you're right. That's why, that's why people tune in. Um, however... It was the most watched baseball game, most watched regular season baseball game since 2005. And I saw a lot of people drawing a lot of conclusions from that. I don't know, man. I, I feel like it's it's hard to say why. I think you can reasonably say that MLB put a lot of effort into advertising this game. They had basically an extra year to advertise it because of the pandemic. Um, it was supposed to happen in 2020 originally. And then... As we talked about last week, that this game was the manifestation of them doubling down on the fan base that they already have. 
So they pulled more eyeballs from that fan base. I, I'm not sure that they brought in people who are like not normal baseball fans because no one who is like a hard, no one who is not a hardcore baseball fan likes Field of Dreams. That that movie is for people for the diehards, the nostalgia appreciators out there in the world. It was a really good game, though. Yeah, I mean, I think so. Rob Manfred came out and and basically said, "Yeah, we're going to go ahead and do this sort of thing again next year." Uh, Cubs manager David Ross supposedly <laughs> let it slip that it yeah. was just, <laughs> it was just going to be in Chicago, uh-huh. and then he tried to unsay it. We, we love that. Uh, we love a Freudian slip. But I am curious kind of how much mileage Major League Baseball is actually able to get out of this one idea because it was a very new idea. It was this novelty this year. You had Kevin Costner out there being a, a part of it. They had the, well, at least the White Sox had the gorgeous throwback, throwback jerseys. The Yankees looked like they were just wearing Yankees jerseys. Boring ass uniforms. Yeah, which is, it's somewhat validating to see that even their uniforms are, you know, a century ago we're just, just as, as boring as they are just now. as lame yeah but <laughs> like there is my mom was to- really into the white Sox hats before we move off the uniforms she texted me right away she was like i love these hats the, the logo list yeah. yeah exactly except for the little new era logo on the side had to well, get that you can't forget that play for the <laughs> name on the front not play for the name that's not on the front of the hat not play, the name play for the-, the play for the name on the <laughs> underside of the bill <laughs> But like you said, it's this was obviously a game for the the people who had that nostalgia. And I am skeptical about whether or not they can replicate it without having a different spin on it. And I also just want to say, I think it's possible for Major League Baseball to have fun marquee events like this that are not necessarily so exclusionary or so wrapped up in and based on a singular part of baseball culture that doesn't resonate with uh, a lot of younger fans today. I mean, you and I like and appreciate Field of Dreams, and there were baseball fans who watched the game even if they they didn't enjoy Field of Dreams. But if Major League Baseball has a Field of Dreams Dreams game every year— I I don't think you're going to start see these these record setting numbers again and again because no. the it 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 gets old. And also, the, there are, the stuff that yeah. was exclusively filled with dreamsy about it was the corniest stuff. I'm sorry for the pun. Oh my what, god, was the, that was unintentional. Was the most eye rolly moments of the night. It's like when they're walking out of the cornfield. It's like all right, I could do without that. I could do without that. Um, the the visual was the coolest part of it for me. The aesthetic mm-hmm. of the game, the way that there were no stands in the outfield, the way that it was so dark out there, and the way that it just looked so different. And you can recreate that without it being Field of Dreams every year. In fact, if it is Field of Dreams every year, I'm probably not going to tune in as enthusiastically because I already know what it looked like. Especially if it's like Cubs-Cardinals. Which, yes. What are the odds it's going to be that? And it's going to be the worst game ever. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be like 2 nothing. Adam Wainwright somehow throwing a Maddox. 43 years old. <laughs> um, before we forget about Tim Anderson ending the game on an epic walk-off and really talking his shit on the base paths on the way out, um, you know, I'm kind of tired of national broadcasters acting like Tim Anderson is underrated by this like nameless, faceless group of baseball fans. 
who doesn't know that Tim Anderson is good at this point in 2021? It's just, it was sort of indicative of the fact that Joe Buck parachutes in and calls games from time to time. And it's just like, it's just such an easy talking point to go to throughout the game. Just like these 2018 ass talking points about how Tim Anderson is underrated and not a lot of people know about him. And he's this White Sox shortstop on the South side. You know, is there a more underrated player in baseball than this guy right here, Alex? And then you just lay out for John Smoltz to be like, where are we? What? Who's playing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm annoyed at how slow these pitchers are working. You know, yeah. bullshit like that. I, I, it's fine. It didn't really turn me off from the game, but I do. I thought that Joe Buck's call was actually pretty good um, throughout the rest of the, he, he brought the right energy to the home runs flying into the cornfields. And um, he obviously dialogued with Kevin Costner very well. But I just wish that we didn't have to pretend like the the stars of the game are like some new story all of the time. Because Tim Anderson's like established as an all-star shortstop for several years now. Yes. The bad flip happened like two calendar years ago. We know who Tim yeah. Anderson is. Yeah, has posted two war in every year of his career except for one. Like yeah. dude is an established major league star. I know. Even if even if he's not on the level of guys like Vlad Guerrero, uh, on the on the level of guys like Otani, in part because of where he plays, right, and in part because he is surrounded by a lot of other like really talented young players that I think he blends in really seamlessly with that team. But maybe that's just an indictment on the national media that you guys should be watching more White Sox games. Yeah, yeah. And I don't even, you know, it's it's hard because I, I get it. Like, you know, you have to talk to the the most generalist fan when you're doing an event like this. But at the same time, you could say to the generalist fan, you might not have known since 2019 or you, you might not have realized that Tim Anderson has been one of the most exciting and one of the best shortstops in baseball for the last few years. But here's why he is. Rather than being like, this guy is so underrated. I'm like, nobody is underrating him anymore. Nobody is underrating him. People might be underrating Lance Lynn, and you can talk about that. But TA, like we know, we know about TA at this point. <laughs> We've been knowing about him. <laughs> Joe, come listen to Tipping Pitches. Come on, Joe. I would have Joe Buck on this pod. I would too. That'd be a great conversation. Somehow, I don't think he would come on. Uh, do you have anything else to say about the Field of Dreams game? Any suggestions for uh, next year? No, I think that uh, I think Major League Baseball should continue hosting these games in um, in blacked out markets. You know, it's like their one little treat of the year. Yeah, I mean, it's I will say like it is objectively bad for the game that that has become the overwhelming narrative. I mean, yes. that I saw talked about in the lead up to the game about as much as I saw discussion around the actual Field of Dreams game. Right, there was a there was a billboard that was bought in Iowa that said, you know, and blackouts. I there were stories written about it. It was it was low hanging fruit because Iowa is one of the places that is blacked out from multiple teams' broadcasts, and so of course it was going to be some sort of prevailing narrative. And I mean, Manfred doesn't have really have a great response to it right now because they're tied up with their you know. TV contracts, their cable contracts, and don't seem very interested in leveraging their power against them. I thought that that was like one of the more frustrating things to come out of this 
when when Manfred insinuates that it's like really a complicated thing to fix when it's it's not like I almost would respect it more if he just said like this is the way that that it works economically. Like if he just came out in plain English and was like, "Sorry, but this is how it is." I would respect that a little bit more. It would be callous, but the way that his his actions are callous and then his words don't match that. So it's just doubly frustrating. But I think that Manfred doesn't have a good response to it because I actually think blackout restrictions are the most unifying thing among baseball fans. Nobody thinks that they are a good idea. Like there's not the person who's out there zagging on that. Nobody's like, well, it's a necessary evil. Yeah, (laughs) we got to keep the cable companies happy. (laughs) We got to keep those cable executives able to buy their third house. If they can't buy their third house, how are we going to stimulate the economy? How will we do right by the ghost of Ronald Reagan? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty ridiculous. I I don't know. Do you see it changing anytime soon? No. I don't. No. I don't think it'll ever change. I think that the the compromise, the only compromise that is reasonable would be for you to be able to pay an additional fee on MLB TV to get around the blackout restrictions. That then fee that fee would then be funneled to SNY or whatever, or whatever market that you're in. To, for me, it would be funneled to S- Sportsnet or whatever the, the Dodgers one here is, the cable local cable channels. I don't know why you can't do that already. But the reason, actually, I do know why you can't do that already. It's because like Verizon and Comcast and whatever, they have monopolies in these local markets and they bar you from getting around it to subscribe to one sports channel. Then they make you want to subscribe to like a sports package, which is more than $10. It would be like $30. So it's all, it's all tied up in monopolies, Alex, as are most things with regards to baseball. Love this shit. Love it. I have it never su- gets old. I have one suggestion for the, for the field of dreams or for the marquee game going forward. Do you want to hear it? Set in a different eighties movie scene every year. We have not a, even like baseball movie. Not like, not even baseball movie. We have a plethora of options here. Can I suggest next year, Top Gun? You play it on an airplane hangar, <laughs> <laughs> on a boat. <laughs> yes, let's get one at uh, at at uh, Nakatomi Plaza. You know, for all my diehard fans out there. Yes. Um, you think I'm kidding? I'm not. I think that I, this would be a cool ass idea. Yeah. Although there are there are a lot of logistical concerns to playing a baseball game on a boat um namely the fact that there's not a field there but you know they've shown commitment to building fields in random places that benefit them before exactly they could do it they could make it work i think they could make it work um just no games on the moon (laughs) we will see one we will yeah Uh, can you imagine the launch angle revolution there sheesh um okay can we talk about our friend buster olney and the Los Angeles Angels. Yeah. So this was going to be something that I was going to put in my three up, three down. But both of us were going to talk about it in three up, three down, I think. And so we just decided to talk about it up top. Uh, Buster only wrote a column, which I was not able to read because it was behind a paywall. But I read the first few paragraphs. And I got the gist of it from his tweet, which is that there is some concern internally in Anaheim. There's some concern internally about the ability to re-sign Shohei Otani, given the money that the Angels have committed already to Mike Trout and Anthony Rendon. Um, the way that 
Buster only phrases it from his sources in his column is that the the budget is not able to be balanced at the moment, more or less. And I don't know. There are a few reasons that I want to talk about this. Number one is that I think it's funny how we're already framing the Otani contract, so to speak, in terms of the team's narrative. Like, when he came over and he signed for so little compared to what he was going to be valued, somehow that was fine because he was like an unknown commodity or he was unproven or whatever. And now that he's drastically outperforming that, we're not talking about how the Angels are reaping all of this positive value. We're not talking about that week in and week out. But we can write a column two years in advance sympathizing with the fact that the Angels are not going to be able to afford the actual value that he has now, but is not getting paid now because they haven't been able to manage their money that well. That's number one. And number two is, I also find it frustrating how we just take at face value what teams say that their budgets are. Because it's not like their books are public. And it's not like we know how much revenue they're making. It's not like we even know which players are going to be under contract with the team in two years from now. We're just accepting the fact that they're saying they might have a problem with this. They're laying the groundwork. They're setting the terms for this conversation 24 months in advance to try to either soften the fall when they don't re-sign him or I guess lower his value or like talk him into accepting a hometown deal because he likes playing there or he chose to go there when he first came over here. I don't know what the purpose of it is. But number one, that we're not talking about the gap in Otani's value in the present. And number two, that we're just accepting the terms with which the team set. Yeah, the headline of this article was can the Angels keep Shohei Otani? A payroll crisis looms in Los Angeles. Does it? Yeah. I'm really I'm really curious, Buster. Does it? Like, did they show you the books? Did Artie Moreno open up his bank account to you and say, no, I really actually am, am running low on money? Because uh, Forbes, Forbes put it at th- puts his net worth at $3.5 with a with a B, that is three point five billion dollars. He he notes in the article. Um, he he suggests that perhaps Otani could get five years, two hundred fifty million, and that if they if they signed Otani to a multi year extension, that would mean the the Angels uh, might owe. 120 to 130 million dollars to Trout, Otani, and Rendon alone. Here's the thing Shohei Otani's a really good baseball player. And you know what you need to try to win baseball games? Really good baseball players. The Angels have spent the better part of the last decade squandering Mike Trout's prime. And it has nothing to do with payroll limitations that they haven't been able to put together a team around him they've tried in scare quotes and largely failed because they're either not interested in investing their player evaluation is just frankly not great yeah especially when it comes to pitching right their their pitchers have had 
loads of of injury issues that have left them with a rotation that looks like it's straight out of a triple a team for like you know five years the last five or six years shohei otani is like one of the biggest antidotes to that that you can get he's he's two players in one he is an all-star if he is just a hitter he is an all-star if he is just a pitcher this game is so obsessed with efficiency that shohei otani is a front office's dream because he's not going to get paid twice as much as mike trout even though he could even though you could argue that he should because he provides that value on both sides of the ball he's going to get a a massively lucrative deal because he provides two players value for the the space of one player yeah and that fucking that that matters the angels can afford to do that and they should for fear of letting another generational talents uh letting a, another generational talent go to go to waste under their watch. Well, I think one of the things that's most frustrating about this is that it's not just that he's going to recoup that value on the field. It's that he's going to create even more value off the field. He's already the most popular baseball player internationally. And as we want the game to grow, as we continue to strengthen the relationship, toxic as it may be between the United States and other baseball playing countries, Toxic as it may be in certain instances and beautiful as it may be in others. As we continue to strengthen that relationship, Otani's value to the club, so to speak, in terms of sponsorship, in terms of global reach, in terms of superstardom, in terms of intangible aspects, is just massive. Also, this dude, if you really wanted to spend and if you really wanted if you really wanted to try to build a sustainable team around Otani and Trout. What better, what like, what better free agency pitch for guys than to come play with these two guys, the best player in baseball right now, and the most fascinating player since Babe Ruth? <laughs> like, that's a pretty amazing pitch when you sit down. Oh, by the way, you also get to live in Southern California, which every athlete wants to do. The problem with the Angels, as we've talked about, as June Lee's piece highlighted, is that they don't want to actually build sustainably under the hood. Like, they want to have a nice sports car with an engine that's falling apart. Like the, the, the trout extension, the Rendon signing, going after Garrett Cole, signing Otani, all of that stuff is beautiful at the major league level. But if you're not building sustainably in your minor league systems, if you're not treating your minor leaguers humanely and you're not developing internal talent, which the angels are not, they haven't had a ton of homegrown success stories other than Mike Trout. Like you can't count Otani in that because he was a superstar abroad. They didn't develop him through their minor league system. And there's no guaranteeing that he would have became a great baseball player if he had to go through what the Angels minor leaguers have to go through now. There's no guaranteeing that he would have even stuck it out with baseball with the way that they treat their minor leaguers. So I think that's one of the big problems. Another big problem is just like there are two narratives that are running parallel that should be mutually exclusive and we don't pretend that they are. Number one is that Owners are these benevolent people who come in and purchase these teams so that we can watch baseball and have fun. Like they're a necessary evil. We don't think that billionaires or we don't think that billionaires necessarily like us, but they're necessary because we need someone who has this much money to be able to operate to operate a baseball team. That is like accepted wisdom. 
not here on this show, but that is like accepted wisdom in the baseball media or in the baseball fandom landscape. But then at the same time, the fact of the matter is that owners do not run their teams based on their own personal wealth. It has no correlation. Nothing. Zero. The richest owners in baseball spend the least. Frequently. Like John Fisher, one of the richest owners in baseball, runs the A's like a poverty franchise. Paul Dolan, one of the richest owners in all of baseball, runs Cleveland like a poverty franchise. And, and when Steve Cohen bought the Mets, people were like, okay, this is unprecedented wealth. He's going he's gonna to spend out of like a drunken sailor. Like he's going to go crazy and all of a sudden we're going to run a $275 million payroll. It just doesn't happen. It's just not the case. There's no facts supporting it. And so we can't, it, it's not possible to hold those two things in our head at the same time. So we got to stop doing it. We got to stop pretending like because Artie Moreno has $3.5 billion, he's going to spend on the Angels. Artie Moreno is going to run the Angels based on how much the Angels franchise makes. How much revenue the Angels franchise makes. Just like Steve Cohen is going to run the Mets based on how much the Mets make. And he's not going to legally embezzle money off the top the way that the Wilpons were doing to recoup their deficit. But that was an extenuating circumstance. Every other team in baseball, the Yankees, the Red Sox, all of those teams just spend as much as they make. They spend right up to the luxury tax. The Steinbrenner's net worth has nothing to do with how much they spend. John Henry's net worth has nothing to do with how much he spends. And the only reason that the Dodgers are blowing over the luxury tax is because they have the best TV contract in baseball. In maybe all of sports. And they also are in the second biggest market. And they've won a lot in the last 10 years. And so they make a lot of money from going to the playoffs repeatedly, making the World Series multiple times. And they have incredible internal development. So they have a lot of guys who are affordable under contract as well. So they're willing to spend and splash in free agency because they know that they could get off those contracts if they needed to, if they ever had a bad financial year. They know all of this stuff. That's the only reason that they go way over. The Mets are not going to be that until they get to that point as an organization. So, right, but they could there's nothing precluding any organization from from being like that, right? Like No, I, but I think we need to stop pretending like organizations are not going to be like that. Like until we get the owners out of the out of the sport, like they're just always going to operate like that. So I see what you're saying. Like I see I I understand like and that's where it brings it all the way back to Buster Olney. Like did you see their books? Because the only thing that we can the only public data that we can go off of is the fact that Artie Moreno is worth 3.5 billion and his network net worth is continuing to go up and like we know how much Atlanta makes because they're they're owned by a publicly traded company yeah I just you know you you talk about like market like the market the Dodgers are in same when the Angels are in right same exact same market more or less that being Southern California, the greater Los Angeles area. You talk about TV deals that are predicated on the, you know, how good a team is doing or or the the superstars that are on the field. What what better PR for your baseball team than to have the a singularly good talent, right? And like I'm not disagreeing with you that I think that billionaires don't that owners don't think about it in this way although i think they 
potentially do and just don't see it as a worthy trade-off, right? Because they are happy just living off the 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 dividends of minor investments rather than going the Dodgers route and saying, yes, we're going to invest every year. We're going to go over the luxury tax knowing that it will make our team good and we're going to get to the playoffs and we'll get to the World Series and we're going to make money based off of that. And it's like, I mean, it's like a, it's a snowball effect, right? You can create that market for yourself if you actually invest, which a lot of these teams just frankly aren't, aren't willing to do. And the luxury tax is a really easy way out. More than anything else, it is just a, an easy scapegoat for owners, right? And only even cites it, right? He says, you know, as he as he talks about how much the Angels might have to pay Trout, Otani, and Rendon, he goes on to say, this is for a franchise that has never gone over the luxury tax threshold. According to Cots, this year's payroll of $182 million is the Angels' highest ever. Yep. And there's more money moving around the economy than we have ever seen before. So, Artie Moreno, where are you at? Shouldn't your payroll continue to go up? Is there any reason why Major League payrolls should be going down in 2021? No, there's not. You know what happens when you go over the luxury tax? You pay like $8 million. The Red Sox went over the luxury tax in 2018. The year they won the World Series, I'll remind you. 12 million bucks. That's how much they paid. That was their luxury tax penalty. That's how much money they paid to Garrett Richards this year, and he made like five starts, and they were all bad. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. I just think that I just think that we're at a stalemate in the discourse about payroll. Yeah. Honestly, I, and I find it hard to navigate what else to say other than it's not worth talking about teams, individual teams' ability to go to the go up to the payroll thresholds. The the luxury tax thresholds if we haven't seen their revenue. Because I know that owners are only making the decisions about how much to spend based on revenue. It has nothing to do with their personal wealth. It has almost nothing to do with their competitiveness year in and year out because there are teams that are bad who have higher payrolls because they can't get off previous contracts. Like, I'm not convinced that the, the Rays can't spend up to the luxury tax threshold. I think that they could, but we just take for granted the received wisdom that they don't have any money to spend. I'm like, well, how much are they really getting in revenue sharing? Because I feel like it's all kind of a wash after that. Like, isn't that the point of revenue sharing? That all of the owners are in this together and yeah, the big market owners get to make more on sponsorship deals, which is not subject to revenue sharing, whatever. But like, in terms of the actual baseball related revenue, aren't they all making like kind of the same? So shouldn't they all be spending the same? Baseball socialism? No? Anyone? Crickets? (laughs) You're not wrong. I know. I know. But don't tell anybody that because because apparently Stu Sternberg is, I mean, he's shopping for deals at Costco from what I hear because he can't, I mean, he can't afford, he can't afford that team. It's a miracle he still owns that team, honestly, from what I hear. No, in fact, I think he probably qualifies for Joe Biden's extended unemployment, uh, uh, you know, benefits. The only reason the Rays aren't playing out in the street is because of the federal eviction moratorium. Mm-hmm. Honestly, they got that PPP loan, and <laughs> Stu was like, "This is what I need to make it through the next year." That's ridiculous. Um, 
one thing that I know for certain is that Buster Olney and and other longtime media types who have more relationships with front offices and ownership groups than they do with players or union reps, these people are not the right people to be handling these stories or writing these stories. Like we're not the right people either because we don't know the truth of it all. But I know for a fact that legacy media people are just being fed bullshit that they think is trustworthy. <laughs> because yes. it, it, all the all every time one of these stories hits, it's like, are you sure? Uh, okay, let's do a couple of voicemails. Hey guys, my name is Ducca, and I'm calling from Alexandria, Virginia. I just got back from tonight's NAPS game where I wore my unionized the minor shirt. I sat in right field to watch uh, a lead feature Met Juan Soto, hopefully hopefully career Nat Juan Soto. He was phenomenal, of course. There was one ball that I swear he got the perfect jump on before the hitter even made contact. Uh, but what I'm really calling about tonight are bullpen catchers. I had a good view of them from where I was sitting, so I spent a lot of time watching them, and they were having the time of their lives out there. They were dancing. They had handshakes. It was great. What I want to know is, who are these guys? Where do they come from? I assume there's some kind of tryout process, but are they typically ex-college catchers or minor leaguers that just didn't quite make it to the major leagues? You know, how many years do they do this since catching takes quite a toll on your legs and your knees? Uh, do they have a side hustle in the off season, or is this their side hustle? I don't know. I just feel like we don't have a lot of information on them, or at least I don't, and I'd like to know more. Uh, thanks, guys. Love the pod. It gets me through my miserable runs in the morning. So have a good night. and looking forward to listening. This is a great question, Becca. So I want to thank you first for calling in about it, because it focuses on people we don't usually talk about, and yet who are really important parts of baseball teams because they are the ones who deal with every single pitcher before they're getting ready to pitch. And that's a really crucial job because pitchers fucking weirdos, man, (laughs) they're kind of crazy. And a big part of the bullpen catchers job is to not only obviously catch their pitches and make sure they're looking okay, but to talk with them about what's working, what's not working to actually, I, I, I feel like bullpen catchers are the, are like the, the therapists of baseball teams, you know, (laughs) there to kind of just like keep the pitchers at ease and make sure they're feeling okay before they go in and, and have their big moment. Um, Diving into the, into the history a little bit. This is from baseball reference who, who notes that specialized bullpen catchers, started appearing in like the 1980s, which is when teams stopped carrying three catchers. Can you imagine baseball teams carrying three catchers today? Uh, No, because then they would just have no one to bring in in relief. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That spot went to a pitcher, a reliever on the roster. Most, Most baseball teams have trouble getting one catcher who is a good hitter. But maybe we should DH the catcher. I don't know. I thought that every time we didn't have a good hitter, we should just replace them with a DH. That's what I heard. Well, catchers hit 100 points better than pitchers. You just said that they weren't good, though. Well, to be fair, for entertainment, most most hitters this year. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, from my understanding, Becca, your instincts are, are right, that they are minor leaguers who were not good enough to, uh, to make it in the majors. College players, sometimes what what these guys will do is 
join the, the the coaching staff and transition into a bullpen role. Sometimes they'll, you know, the the team might reach out to the catcher and say, "Hey, look, we we love you. We don't think you're going to make it on the major league roster, but we'd love to have you around because we think you're a good presence." And I think that's part of the reason why they're always having fun, right? Is because these are guys who have been grinding and who know where they are kind of in the in the food chain, right? They are not necessarily expected to come out and be a star. They're expected to like be a team player and know that the pitchers are kind of relying on them to be consistent and to like get them to be on their level. I I don't know. What is your What's your what's your take on bullpen catchers, Bobby? Um, I think that you're right in identifying that they are sort of a vital role to a team that not a lot of people think about. Um, CC has talked about all his bullpen catchers quite frequently and how they make a big difference in getting you mentally ready, especially for a starter. Um, according to this article from WCPO.com, which is a Cincinnati uh, TV station's website, um, they are considered members of the coaching staff. Um, and they are frequently the lowest paid coaches on the team. They make $90,000, uh, according to Fangraph's estimates. But, um, you know, it's a definite physical toll. And on the scale of what other coaches make, you know, you're out there grinding. And you don't know how long you're going to be able to be the bullpen catcher. Because if you're receiving, like, multiple bullpen sessions in a day, you're basically catching a full game every day. And if you're a retired catcher, that means you're in your like late 30s, mid to late 30s, catching a full game every day. And that's a lot. That's a lot on your knees, even though you're probably wearing knee savers because it doesn't really matter. You don't need to chase a ball afterwards. Um, it's But it's a, specifically a lot on your arm, throwing the ball back to these guys that many times. So I don't know. It, I Probably why they're having fun is because of what you said, because they know that they're just like hanging around, extending their career in baseball. And that seems to be what every single person wants to do every single person who makes it to this level just wants to be around the game still until that they until they go out on their own terms and um i think it would be cool to be a bullpen catcher you know make 90k catch catch some bullpens have a good time not really have to impact winning or losing all that much um but yeah it's fascinating maybe we should try to talk to a bullpen catcher that's a that's a great idea all right um Coming soon on Tipping Pitches. Next voicemail. Hey, guys. Uh, long-time listener, first-time caller, all that stuff. Looking forward to repping the new Twins-inspired uh, Unionize the Miners shirt because huge Twins fan over here. But I'm not actually uh, here to talk about the Twins, even though, you know, there's lots to talk about with them. Instead of buying good pitching, they just went out and got J.A. Happ and Matt Schumacher and Alex Colomay this offseason, and look where we are now. Uh, and certainly not going to talk about people like uh, Andrews and Simmons, you know, the wonderful players on the team, or trading Nelson Cruz. I actually want to talk about uh, MLB The Show. I know both of you guys are fans of that game. Um, and I was – one of the things that I do on that game is – I choose a team and basically do a, like, ground-up rebuild. Um, and I kind of cheated this year, and I chose the Mariners because I was – I really like Derek Kelnick, Julio Rodriguez, Logan Gilbert, you know, all of it down that line. And as I'm 
doing this, I'm beginning to realize this game doesn't really sugarcoat. They don't really go into the nuance about fan bases. Like, if I wanted to just tear down the rest of the Mariners, like, I still have Kyle Seeger on my lineup. If I wanted to trade him for some good prospects, you know, that uh, controllable uh, prospect time, I could do it with a click of a button. And I think that it just kind of desensitizes some of the um, some of the way that we uh, we digest baseball as a discourse and the things around trading and around the markets and all those things. Um, it's just kind of a weird, weird thing that I can like trade Kyle Seeger and Kyle Lewis and Marco Gonzalez uh, and all these guys who like the fan, the actual fan base of the Mariners love. But yeah. So, anyway, keep doing what you're doing. Keep up the good fight. Hopefully, I'll uh, be getting that Twins-inspired United the Miners shirt pretty soon here. So, yeah. All right. Later, guys. Really interesting question here. Um, I'm curious if you think that there would be a way that these games could do what this caller is suggesting, which is factor in how fan bases would respond to your various moves. Like, if there was a a threshold with which you went below in terms of fan approval where you just got fired in the game. But this caller is right in that the people who are dictating the terms of these games, the people who are giving these licenses are, you know, MLB executives. And so there are things that creep in that are frankly, not to be like, not to be too on brand, but are frankly pro ownership. Like there are, it lies about how much you make as a minor leaguer. Straight up. Just lies. It says that you make hundreds of thousands of dollars as your minor league salary, which is not true. It caps how much you can make as a major leaguer, how much you can negotiate for as a major leaguer, which is also not supposed to be how it works. There are little things that creep through in be the show where I'm just like, ooh, I don't know about that one, guys. I think that this is, uh, you guys are running a little inter- interference for how things actual, actually work. Um, and this is one of those things. Like you can just trade guys with no consequences at all, completely divorced from reality. And some fans, like some fans, act like that's the case in real life, and it's not. And I, I've done stuff like this in MLB The Show. I've done stuff like this in uh, in NBA 2K, and it's just like you get rewarded for doing it in, in video games the way that you might not necessarily get rewarded for doing it in real life. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's something that we really have seen accelerate over the last decade, decade and a half with things like fantasy sports, where you can, where you can act like a GM and, you know, again, have that humanity, divorced from the the players the stats that they're that they're putting up right you can trade guys like he said with a with the click of a button and i mean i think of like out of the park baseball right this baseball simulator actually does have the the fan element in there a little bit where if you trade a superstar fan interest in your team might just plummet right if i'm the angels and i trade mike trout my fans are going to be pissed at me. Now, again, it's still hard to really capture that in 
a, a video game because what does that what does that mean that they're not buying fake jerseys anymore yeah that they're yeah. not that they're not coming to these fake games like unless there's a chance that it actually impacts your specific gameplay that you know maybe players don't want to come to play for you because your fan base isn't interested in the game and your attendance is plummeting and that sort of thing but outside of that I think that's just kind of something we have to learn to reckon with and and live with when it comes to games like these. Because more than anything else, fans love to pretend that they are general managers, that they are calling the shots. And there's not a really easy way to incorporate like morals <laughs> into the into that. Yeah, you're the pro labor GM in out of the park baseball, Alex. Right, exactly. Yeah, uh, running a five hundred million dollar payroll. The union loves you. Just, <laughs> Honestly, though, when I'm in when I'm playing Road to the Show, I'm like, I will get the maximum amount. I no matter oh, for what, sure. I yeah. I will not accept the offer that they give me. I I'll I'll get traded. No, I don't care. I'll get traded to the team that will give me that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Player empowerment, <laughs> baby. I'm installing the player, men- That's player right. empowerment era in MOE the show. Um, okay, are you ready for the final voicemail? Yes. Hi, Tim Hedges. It's Greta from Chicago. I'm a Cubs fan and also a Twins fan. Um, and I guess I'm calling you with two different things. First, as you know, the, the owners of the Cubs uh, really suck. And I guess we have a bit of a family dispute. I started earlier in the season where my mother, I am a child, by the way, um, uh, said that because the Ricketts are so bad that she's thinking of not being a Cubs fan anymore. She's not really a hardcore baseball fan, but, you know, she enjoys it. And going to the dark side to be a White Sox fan because they're more exciting and don't have as blatantly sucky management. I disagree. I am a fan of the players in the team. Not the anti-vaxxer, but we just got rid of Eric Sogard, which is very good. But I'm a fan of the game and of the Cubs and not of the Ricketts, and I think that's very valid, obviously. <laughs> um, and... Uh, yeah, I'm not a fan of the Ricketts, but she thinks that you can't separate the management or the owners from the players. I think you can, and they, you know, separate from the players in the game. I think you can. Please give me your advice. And uh, yeah, my other thing is if during All Star break, <laughs> this is so dumb, but I just think it would be really fun during All Star break. The All Stars play the game of kickball, which I assume you are familiar with. Like, home run derby, all-star kickball game, an all-star game, like, in one weekend. Uh, Who would win? Who would be on what team? Who would be good? And um, your opinions. That might be the dumbest call you've ever had, but, okay, thanks so much. Bye. Um, It is not the dumbest call we've ever had. It's a wonderful call with much to dive into. Uh, Should we just start with the easiest part, the kickball game? Fully support. Love that idea. Yeah, it's a really good yes. idea. Have more baseball players playing things that are not baseball. It's great TV. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
especially like not like I don't want to see baseball players playing basketball. I want to see them playing like Foursquare. Yeah. You know, playing wall ball, playing the schoolyard games. Yeah. (laughs) Double Dutch. Exactly. (laughs) I feel like Joey Gallo would be really good at kickball. Why? Just because he has massive thighs? Because he has long legs? He's big. That's that's pretty much it. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds about right. Yeah. You know, good, good good at kickball? Aaron Judge. Yep. Yep. I have a hard time imagining Cespedes would be incredible. Wow. Uh-huh. He would be getting a max contract in the kickball yeah. league. Um, <laughs> okay, let's dive into a little bit the um, the situation with whether or not you can still be a Cubs fan if you hate the Rickets. I think that I think that this caller is right in that you can just root for the players. You don't have to root for everything when you're rooting for the team. You can actively divorce yourself we've talked about this a ton but you can actively divorce yourself from supporting the ownership group while still supporting the players obviously there are complications there and that you're giving kind of giving money to the ownership group um by supporting the team but that's going to be true no matter what team you root for and you shouldn't deprive yourself of that of the team that you really want to love and the players that you really want to love just because of the owners but i also think that it's true that you don't have to root for the team just because you used to like i think that this caller's mom is to leave the Cubs because of the Rickets. I think that's more than I think that's more than acceptable. I think that it, either way, it's okay. You just have to make that decision for yourself and you have to kind of look internally and see what you're see what you feel is right in that situation. And if you think that you can divorce yourself from the Rickets while still rooting for the Cubs players and the people on the field that you that you love, then I think that that is a completely healthy way to watch baseball. But I also think that like trying to compare which ownership groups are worse is a very hard game to do. We've done it from time to time on this show um, implicitly or explicitly, but like it's not exactly like Jerry Reinsdorf is the best dude on planet earth over there. So switching to the white Sox is not necessarily like making the world a better place. Wow. Roast, roast her mom. <laughs> it's true though, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, you're right. I I mean, I think that if I was a Cubs fan right now, I would be in a really uh, sticky situation because I think it's perfectly acceptable if your ownership is making decisions that bleed over onto the field in ways that negatively impact your experience being a fan then yeah it's it's impossible to to d- divorce that right when the ownership is actively trading away the players you love they are yes. directly linking the two right and saying as long as i am an owner of this team i will make decisions that negatively impact your experience that said i also understand that fandom is incredibly complicated and rooted in community and rooted in family and oftentimes rooted in what you grew up on. And you, you know, you asked me, I think last week or the week before what I do if the A's would move, like would I, would I still be a fan? And I don't know the answer yet, but that's one of those spaces where 
yes, I I want to divorce John Fisher's decisions from the the actual A's players. But if he moves my baseball team, then <laughs> you don't have know. much of a choice. <laughs> yeah, I don't have much of a choice. So I I sympathize with this conundrum because I think it's one that every every fan base has to face at one point or or another. And as long as you can make peace with your decision, I think that's the most important thing. I agree. Well said. Um, specifically, your point about it bleeding over onto the onto the field. Like it becomes very hard to divorce it at that point, and this caller's mom is is not wrong um, to look down at the White Sox and say, "Hey, at least they're letting their team be fun." Yep, yeah. Exactly. It can sometimes be that simple. Um, what gives you joy? And don't shit on other people's baseball joy. Uh, all right, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll power through here for them. All right, Alex. You ready for three up, three down? I am so ready for this. I'll kick us off this week. I feel like I've been making you start recently. Um, my first down this week is, you know, we talked already about the field of dreams. I did save this for my three up, three down so that I wouldn't have to come up with something new. Um, my first down this week is that during the field of dreams game, they were running betting segments like in and out of almost every commercial and just you gotta read the room guys the field of dream story is about the 1919 black Sox scandal where the players on that team were permanently banned from baseball because they accepted money to throw the world series from betters and they're running bet promos they're running betting gambling promos during this game and not realizing the optics of it that's just my that's my first down this week we continually, we cannot escape, Alex. We cannot escape the tentacles of sports betting interviewing experience. Yeah. This is a train that is just continuing to pick up speed. And we're, we're actually, we're going to have a discussion about this in greater length with a, with a guest next week. Um, because we're we're reaching the point where you and I kind of yelling at clouds is is not enough to really underscore kind of the the pernicious long term effects of this. But yes, as you as you said, the the lack of ability to just read the room and have some sort of self awareness is, I mean, I guess not surprising at this point, but no less jarring at the same time. It's it's just absurd. It's just frankly, uh, it's like living in a simulation. Um, okay, what's first down for you? Climate change. I I can't disagree with you there. Not a fan overall. Uh, I don't know if you saw, but climate change is getting worse. There was actually there was a report that came out last week about that very thing from the United Nations. I promise I'm not just going to read the United Nations report around climate change and and human caused emissions of greenhouse gases although we could we could have that discussion um but i would like to find a way to tie it back to baseball as we often try to do sometimes to no avail but i'll do my best uh in sometimes we're just like time to talk about taylor swift yes and you know what i i like that just as much but 
in Reno this past week where the Diamondbacks AAA affiliate uh, uh, hosted the Mariners AAA affiliate. The air quality was um, subpar. According to the EPA, it was unhealthy and bordering on very unhealthy as a result of the, the Dixie Fire in California raging as we speak, filling the air with smoke, pollutants, and causing a bit of a, um, a stir among those generally concerned about the safety and well-being of baseball players. Our good friends at Advocates for Minor Leaguers tweeted about this, said they would love to see the kind of the safety protocols from these teams as far as what is safe for players to play in, what is not safe for players to play in. But regardless of this instance, this is something that we're going to actually have to start reckoning with and having very real, frank conversations about. Some of you may remember last year when the Oakland A's played a game under smoke-filled skies and some players were actually frustrated because there were levels of pollutants in the air that were just that were objectively harmful and in a world that is rapidly getting hotter where wildfires are going to increase and baseball played outdoors by and large still this is once again a a train that we can't really slow down and I think there's going to be a point where Major League Baseball has to really reevaluate what it deems as safe for its players, even if the their protocols said, yes, we think that players are okay to play in this, you know, one one or two days. It should be fine. With where's the line? Is it okay for players to play in this for a week? For a month? Are we gonna build uh, roofs on top of every stadium. I I think we are we are rapidly confronting a reality where this is actually something that MLB is going to have to take into consideration when planning out scheduling, when planning out new stadiums, new teams. I I go back to our conversation with Bradford William Davis at the beginning of last season, which was uh, it was going to be a lighthearted preview, and. Our boy Bradford made it very real and said, the world's getting all, getting pretty worse every day. And baseball is going to have to confront it uh, at, at one point or another. And it's going to take a lot more than, than a few tweets from advocates to really push for any change. It's interesting, right? Because baseball is situated kind of perfectly to like lobby for radical climate legislation. Because like they are, we've talked a lot of times about how, and this might seem absurd for me to say that Major League Baseball is ever going to lobby for radical climate legislation that will actually help the world. But listen, they they lobby for a lot of shit, including against workers' rights and you know for minimum wage exceptions. So they're not above lobbying for things that will actually benefit them. And if baseball were to lobby for the Green New Deal, it would help them a lot unironically speaking because exactly what you're saying they have big problems facing them come in the coming years if not already in the present and 
it's America's pastime. They have a frankly disgusting level of rapport with the United States Senate and the United States House of Representatives. And maybe for once they could put that to positive use instead of using it to fuck over minor leaguers. Maybe for once they could just be like, we as a league foresee a problem that is coming. We want to help the U.S. government solve it. And we're going to use our political capital. We're going to spend a lot of our political capital on this. Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be cool, Alex? What do you think about that idea? Rob Manfred coming out and talking at an AOC rally about the Green New Deal? That'll be the fucking day. (laughs) The forget Save America's Pastime Act. Let's let's boot up the Save America Act. That actually sounds like vaguely fascistic. Yeah, that's something that uh, that That the Tea Party former president would have would have instituted. Right. Yeah. Yeah. About I don't know. Probably like illegal immigration would be my guess. But do we do we know? So obviously Theo Epstein is lobbying for the commissioner of baseball job or lobbying to become a future owner. That seems to be if we're reading the tea leaves of his public appearances. That seems to be what he's interested in. Do we know how he feels about Green New Deal? Is he pro? Maybe he could be the change. You know, maybe I'll get behind Theo for commish. Maybe I'm, we should, we should send him our demands. Exactly. Exactly. They what could I was get just the about tipping pitches endorsement. They could get the tipping pitches endorsement if Theo Epstein says that he will lobby the United States Congress for the Green New Deal as head executive of Major League Baseball. That's all it takes. That's all. It's all we're asking. Just a light little endorsement from us. Yeah. Which I'll obviously our endorsement uh, holds a, a lot of a lot of weight in the eyes of. Uh, baseball executives and ownership. So we could draft up Theo, something. We could talk yeah. to our many DSA listeners and we could draft up something. We could send around a petition. Um, <laughs> okay. Second down for me this week, Alex, after we just spent 12 minutes talking about climate change, um, I'm feeling very despondent. So I will quell that feeling by talking about Barstool again. Um, nice. So nothing has really changed that much about this in the past week other than I've talked to a couple people and it seems like everybody thinks that this is not going to happen and Correct. that it was kind of never going to happen um, and maybe even so much so that MLB did not want this to come out and that yeah. Barstool was the side that was leaking it in order to you know up their leverage with other sports leagues that they want to broadcast like whether that be like I don't know like UFC or whatever that almost makes me feel worse because then it it just reminds me how incompetent MLB is and how, like I've already said, read the room a million times. Their inability to read the room, the fact that they would ever even go into preliminary negotiations and have this be an option that this would come out, that this is something that they wanted to do. Because you know that Barstool is going to leak it in order to increase their, um, increase their leverage in other negotiations. Like that's kind of their business plan. They do that with their individual talent all the time. You know what Barstool offered individual podcasters when they're in negotiations with those people. So like you have to know. You should be online enough to know that if you are talking with Barstool Sports, there's a good chance it's going to end up in the New York Post. And it seems like they weren't. And it they look like fools because of it. And it we had to go through this whole thing where a lot of women baseball fans had to come on and a lot of non-white baseball fans had to come on and be like, this alienates me from the product all for fucking nothing. 
all for something that MLB didn't even really want to execute on. And it's just a tire fire. It's just a mess. Yeah, you're right. I, the, the, the speculation is that, I mean, it's no secret that MLB is looking to form creative partnerships in order to expand their broadcasting capabilities, connect with a younger audience. And it seems like Barstool reached out and said, hey, we'd be interested. MLB fielded the call. There were brief discussions. Nothing really transpired as a re- as a result of that, and as you as you mentioned, Barstool more than likely went and and leaked it to the media as a as a way to show that they're legit, to actually like increase their uh, heighten heighten their standing potentially as as real bidders in the in the coming media wars and and the. I guess the most disappointing part of it for me is that MLB stood by idly and let the rumor mill churn. Just don't field the call. Like if I'm Rob Manfred, I mean, yeah, Sigliari, but, don't but take the call. But they're, but they're going to, right? Because I mean, why, why wouldn't they? Why would they spurn a relationship with Barstool Sports? I mean, again, you and I have the reasons for why they should not do that. Yes. But you know, as a multi-billion dollar sports enterprise they are going to they'll they'll field every call right and it, and it serves them well if only to potentially suggest to other bidders that hey you're not the only ones in the room yes. right you can make it it's like the whole thing if you if a free agent is negotiating and saying well there are multiple bidders on the table that gives you more leverage as the as the one with something to offer, because you can take that back to to Fox, to Turner, to ESPN, whatever it is, and say, "Hey, look, you guys need to up your offer." So I I I understand all the the workings, but I am am disappointed at the end of the day because it indicates that Major League Baseball just does not really understand their young audience as they as they likely should it also just indicates that they'll just wherever they catch a whiff of money they'll follow that trail which is it's problematic like it it's yeah i mean we talked about it all last week um let's just move on to your second down my second down is catch discourse bobby is it have a catch or play catch what do you think obviously play catch Obviously, but I will admit, I did say have a catch for a while because of this movie. Mm, interesting, um, but it is play catch. I feel like that's agree. pretty universally accepted. I mean, I saw quite a lot of debate over it the past mm. week as a result of the the movie. Obviously, plenty of sports writers weighed in and, f- and fans weighed in. And I think that you're right that the public opinion largely leans in favor of of play catch. But I think also there are people who say, you know, let's have a let's have a catch. Let's let's have a game of catch. I just want everyone to have a good time. If you're playing catch, <laughs> I, I want do everyone not care to what, play I do a good not, time. I do. Yeah, work. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care what you call it. Like. Maybe this is like out of a crotchety take to be like, ah, stop whining. Stop arguing about this. But also in in the the number of uh, debates that plague this sport, uh, big or small, this is the one that I lose 
absolutely no sleepover. <laughs> and I think that the debate is, is largely largely pointless. As long as people know what you're talking about, I'm I'm unbothered. Um, okay, you want to hear about the final thing that I'm losing sleep over? And I'm losing a lot of it. Yes, sir. George Springer. I am losing sleep over George Springer being on the Toronto Blue Jays and not on the <laughs> New York Mets. Alex, that is my third down this week. I don't care if this is really specific to Mets fandom or not, because everybody has that one free agent that it was rumored that they might go to your team and they ended up on another team and they're amazing on that other team. George Springer would be second on the Mets in war this season. And he's played a quarter of the amount of games as the rest of the Mets players. He'd be second on the Mets behind only Jacob deGrom, who also has been out for the last two months. So why is he on the Mets again? Can someone explain that to me? Oh, right. It's because of what we talked about. We talked about Buster Olney and the Angels because teams don't actually want to spend anything more than a very specifically designated section of their revenue. Alex Baisley. That's why George Springer is not on the Mets. And every time I look down at my phone, I feel like every fifth notification that I get is George Springer home run. George Springer home run. Like this dude just keeps raking and it's punishing me. It's haunting me. Yeah, man. I wish Marcus Simeon was on the was on the A's. Yeah. It's, you know, maybe we should both become Blue Jays fans. How about that? It's not just a bad vica- idea. Vicariously live, live, through, live our idea. A's Mets fandom out through the Blue Jays. Yeah, I'm here for it. Okay, good call. Your final down. All right, my final down is um, is an easy one. It's it's not even sapping my joy necessarily. It's just I wanna I wanna pour one out for Chris Davis, Chris with a C. My man's retired. Nice. The year left uh, on his on his contract, um, and I think that the the latter few years of his career somewhat overshadow like how much of a threat he was in his prime. Like it's. I feel so bad for this man who had put up a seven war season and and a five war season. That's insane. And played and played more than a dozen seasons in Major League Baseball and still ended up with a war of about twelve overall. Because those last few years were were kind of painful to watch. And it's sad to see a player go out like that because I think we like to see players go out on their own terms when they feel like they're ready to give up the game, not like the game has kind of given them up. And I just, I think there's always, there's always time and space to appreciate big beefy guys who just, who just crush stingers. I like, I like seeing that. The, the fact that he put up a, a seven war season is just mind boggling to me. Um, and he is one of the more confounding stories uh, of our baseball life. Um, okay, let's go to our ups. This first one for me was a debate, an internal debate as to whether to include this in an up or a down. I ended up including an up because it's funny and it didn't happen to my team. Uh, here, this, is, this came courtesy of a tweet from Meek Phil, who is a very prolific participant in Mets Twitter. Um, it's two screenshots 
with the caption, ah, damn, I wonder why his agent wanted his client to be paid all that money. The first screenshot is a tweet from the Washington Nationals official team account that says, here is some factual information about two National League shortstops and a link to vote for one of them to the All-Star game. And the accompanying picture is Trey Turner and Francisco Lindor. Trey Turner obviously was having a much better season than Francisco Lindor at the time of the All-Star voting this year. Um, so it's it's a tweet saying how fantastic Trey Turner is and how he's having a better season than Lindor, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then the second screenshot from Meek Phil is from Jake Russell, who is a Nationals reporter for the Washington Post. And it says, Trey Turner's agents argued their client should get an extension comparable to Francisco Lindor, who got 10 years and $341 million from the Mets. The Nats never made Turner another offer. So, on one hand, you have the Nationals team account saying, our guy is better than Francisco Lindor. And on the other hand, you have the Nationals front office refusing to even make an offer to Trey Turner that is even anywhere within the ballpark of Francisco Lindor. It's sad, but it's funny. So I put it in my ups. Yeah, I think they they offered him, their best offer was what? Like it was five years, 100 million yeah, or, something, or something like that. And it was when from he like was a two year. years ago. Right, exactly. It was, I think, before the uh, 2020 season. The Washington Nationals Twitter account did not get the memo. No. That <laughs> pick another player to compare him to, please. <laughs> One that is getting paid less at the moment. <laughs> it's just it's it's just funny when teams just like have egg on their face, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's not like the social media manager's fault, obviously, but it's just it's just funny when they don't realize that they are kind of dunking on themselves. Yes, exactly. Okay, what's up for you? Um, first up for me is a discussion about copyright in Hollywood. As always, there is a there is a baseball connection. I promise it's there. But I want to um, to talk about how a lot of major studios are losing rights to their franchises to main characters like Terminator, for example because of a law that Congress passed in the uh, 1970s that basically allowed authors, creators of these characters to basically reclaim the copyright after 35 years. This is something that's largely been um, taken advantage of by musicians to get rights back to their music after a period of time. But um, it's increasingly being looked at by screenwriters, by people who came up with the character, came up with Predator, came up with John McClane in Die Hard to basically say, we're going to take these rights back. And Hollywood's in a bit of a, a pickle over this because losing the rights to characters like that means losing money and losing the opportunity to create seven sequels to Die Hard, which Lord knows we need. Let's bring this back to the Philly Fanatic, which has been in a bit of a copyright war over the last few years as the creator of the Fanatic has said, I want my rights back. I created this guy for you. You employed me to create him for you. 35 years have passed. I would like to to regain the rights to this. 
Well, they have been in a protracted legal battle in court. And I can't believe that with this has been going through the courts for three years all Mm -hmm. over this stupid mascot. No offense to Phillies fans who love the Fanatic. Rightfully, like this is their thing, but still. The resulting ruling is that the the original copyright owners, the creators of the Philly Fanatic, Harrison and Erickson, uh, will will likely be able to reclaim the rights to the Fanatic and um, and preclude the team from from challenging the validity of the copyright. And I'll, I'll link to the Hollywood Reporter story on this in the description if anyone's interested. But my favorite part about this was the the exception that was drawn out, which is that if the if there are some minor changes made to the the character, this derivative works exception, then whoever owns the copyright at the current moment is is allowed to continue to to keep using it, which is what the Phillies did just a couple years ago, was they made these minor changes to the Philadelphia to the Philly fanatic, which I think we may have discussed on here. Yes, we did. That caused some outrage from fans. And ultimately, I don't really care. But <laughs> you do not just, under any circumstances have to hand it to Phillies fans. <laughs> but I just want to read the, the judge's conclusion as to why the Phillies can keep using this modified version. Fanatic 2 has pink star-shaped eye, eyelashes, light blue eyebrows, round eyes, oval pupils, a cylindrical snout, wingtips on his arms, and a blue-tipped duck butt. Fanatic 1, for its part, has scalloped-shaped eyelashes, dark blue eyebrows, oval or egg-shaped eyes, a megaphone-shaped snout, no wingtips, and a dark blue tail that comes to a smaller point. To be sure, the changes to the structural shape of the Fanatic are no great strokes of brilliance. But as the Supreme Court has already noted, a compilation of minimally creative elements, no matter how crude, humble, or obvious, can render a work a derivative, which means that the Phillies can continue to use their, their knockoff fanatic all of this is to say i would like to hear more judges describe the artistic elements that go into mascot design yeah how would you how would you explain like mr met mr met to someone who's never mr met actually might even be one of the easier ones to do because it's based off of an existing thing that is to say a a baseball the fanatic might have been the 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 hardest one, honestly, because how do you yeah. explain a furry green person with a long snout? It's just one of those things that's like, it's part of the culture, you know? Mm-hmm. You, if you know, you know. You sh- exactly. You shouldn't have to explain it. You just have to be, you, have to, you just have to feel it. This means the, the, the Phillies won't lose their mascot, although they will likely lose the, the real, the OG fanatic, which I think is... It's the I stand with the OG fanatic, not this, not this, this uh, knockoff version the Phillies have drawn up. God forbid the Phillies pay to continue to use the the original copyrighted version. God forbid the poor Phillies ownership group has to spend a little money to the original artist. What would happen? They might have to fold the team. They might (laughs) be playing out on the street with Stu Sternberg's Rays. Probably have to take some of. Bryce's contract. And Bryce right? would do it because he loves the city and he loves the he fanatic. Would, yeah, he would know, do it. I know. I know. <laughs> hashtag brotherly uh, love. Hashtag Philly. Hashtag cheesesteak. Whatever the fuck yes. else he adds to all of his posts like a weirdo. Uh, uh, all right. What is what is next up for you? 
Next up for me is um, just want to take a quick second to say thank you to everybody who has been ordering shirts. I don't know if I don't know if anyone who is listening to this podcast this late is someone who recently ordered a shirt, but we Alex, we had a ton of orders in this past week. I think mostly because you sent a viral tweet about Field of Dreams. But in any case, however people found the shirts, my second up this week is just continues to amaze me how many people buy these shirts in order to help support more than baseball. Um, the unionized the minor shirts I'm referring to um, in order to help support more than baseball. And it's just really encouraging at, you know, at very discouraging moments in the baseball world to see that people are willing to support and rep a shirt like this for something that is sort of like this very granular, very magnified issue within the baseball world and are willing to wear a shirt that might actually spark a slightly uncomfortable conversation with a fan at a game that you might be at about what it's actually like to be a minor league baseball player. If you wear this game to a minor league or if you wear this shirt to a minor league game, you might have to explain what, the meaning of it is and why players are being treated so poorly and why it's a hard thing to be at a game and support these guys, but also know that they're getting paid unlivable wages. And so I don't know. I'm just really thankful for that constantly. And I don't want to let it go unsaid on the podcast for too long because we've been seeing so much support for them in the last week or two. Yeah. It's pretty incredible. I think that every major league baseball game that I've gone to this year, I've seen at least one. Meanwhile, I haven't I seen the, any. I, at, I have not I seen one. I, I, what's going on there? You got to radicalize the West, man. That's but I we that's, sell that's the that's Dodgers on one. That's the original one, and I go to <laughs> Dodger Stadium. That's my home ballpark. Brutal stuff. Maybe we should we should start doing some handouts. Maybe we should like like sneak down. You know how they do like the T-shirt cannon? Like how yeah. can we finagle like a few T-shirts in there? That's one of the funniest images ever. Them shooting out in one of our shirts that says "Unionize the Miners," and someone opens it up, and they're like, "What the fuck is this?" Some confused fan. Yes, exactly. Uh, I, I don't know. It was going to say one eight hundred flowers on the back. I'll see. <laughs> I thought that it was going to say State Farm. Um, no, I'll, I'll I'll see one eventually. I hope so. I, I'll I'll get around to it. What's second up for you? Uh, second up for me is reaping and sowing. Uh, Jake Arrieta was uh, conducting an interview this past week over Zoom, and the the reporter with whom he was conducting the interview ha- was wearing a mask, mm. and he 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 stopped the interview. He interrupted the interview to say, "Excuse me, can you can you just can you take off your mask?" Again, this was not something that was negatively impacting Jake Arrieta. Was not even in the same room with them. The reporter felt like the the environment that they were in, it was necessary for them. Jake Arrieta, noted uh, uh, anti-vaxxer, said, I will not stand for your personal choice. My, my personal desires trump your personal choice. Anyway, Jake Arrieta was just released. So we hate, we hate to see that. That's unfortunate. I hope he lands on his feet. Uh, he might have to shave a few runs off that ERA, but a few, you know, that's that's a personal choice of his. That's all. That's all I'm going to say. It's a personal choice for him to be a bad pitcher. <laughs> right now, it kind of looks like it. Yeah. Ouch. Uh, well, well said. I mean, there's nothing else to say about this. No, no. 
I just don't understand what the problem is with other people wearing masks. I don't get, I don't get, I just don't understand the urge to be like, can you take that off? It's like going so far out of your way to violate someone else's comfort level. It's just, I I don't get it. I don't get it at all. Um, Agreed. Okay. I'm going to end this podcast where I started it talking about field of dreams and, and Zach Britton's cleats. Um, Zach Britton was wearing custom cleats. They looked like kind of like an airbrushed field of dreams inspired aesthetic um, with the cornfield and everything. And he was wearing those cleats so that he could auction them off after the game and donate the proceeds to more than baseball. This has become a bit of a trend among major league players to wear cleats and auction them off, wear custom cleats and auction them off and give the profits to more than baseball. So I support that. I support everyone who's supporting more than baseball. It's a really cool thing to do. It's really unfortunate that Zach Britton has to be the one to do this, that MLB players have to be the ones to wear this burden when their clubs can't be bothered to fix any of these problems. But, you know, until then, this is the best form of direct support and action that we have. Um, And yeah, I'll also take this opportunity at the end of the show here to shout out all the people who wore our shirts and took photos and tagged us in them. Um, Thanks to Edward. Thanks to Mike. Thanks to Paul. Thanks to DJ. Thanks to Sergeant Pepper. Thanks to Kieran. Thanks to Trevin. And thank you to Jason. Jason Burke, who is the host of the Locked on A's podcast. Shouting out our A's design. It is very beautiful. It is very cool. All A's fans should have one. Alex, what is your final up this week? We already talked about it. It's Tyler Gilbert mm. throwing a no-hitter in his first career start because that shit's fun. Lest you think we don't like talking about baseball or watching baseball, we do every once in a while. Yeah. Unfortunately, was, I wasn't watching it. I was watching the Mets lose two to one to the Dodgers in a Dodgers yes, bar. Yes, I was. I was. I was also watch, watching that that happen in uh, in real time. <laughs> All that being said, I just love when the the larger baseball community can rally around stories like this. As we were talking today, Tristan McKenzie was in the midst of throwing a a what looked like a perfect game against the the Tigers and while he ultimately didn't get it it was awesome to just see baseball fans rooting for him yeah his reaction after it's, he gave up the hit where he just like very calmly just said damn it <laughs> yep <laughs> so good relatable yeah yeah that's 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 my third up is is real pure baseball moments good good guys doing good things I love good guys doing good things. Uh, Thank you for listening to another episode of Tipping Pitches. Uh, We very much appreciate it. You can call our voicemail at 785-422-5881. There are a bunch of voicemails that we were not able to get to this week that we will continue to respond to in the coming weeks. You can email us at tippingpitchespod at gmail.com if you want to get a shirt of your own. The short link is tiny.cc backslash nationalize, as in Let's nationalize our national pastime, Alex. Anything else to leave the people with before we get out of here? For once, no. That's no snark. No joke. No no reference back to something we we talked about at the beginning. Just uh, thanks for listening, everyone. If you liked it, share it with a friend. Maybe 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 drop us a review on iTunes. Yeah, that stuff helps. It's been a minute it, since it we really had it. It really does. One. It does help. Yeah. That's all. 
Thank you to everyone for tuning in. And we will be back next week. Hello, everybody. Uh, I'm Alex Rodriguez. Tipping pitches. Tipping pitches. This is the one that I love the most. Tipping pitches. So we'll see you next week. See ya.